G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. An opportunity today to hear the heartbeat of a servant of God who has trained as many as 100,000 pastors and leaders around the world. He's travelled to over 70 nations, including a major focus on Pakistan, the Democratic Republic of Congo and even the likes of Bulgaria. He's Dr. Rob Carmen, who pioneered a church in the United States state of New Mexico that grew to be the largest congregation in his state. And he recently completed a whole year of broadcasting a Christian TV show via satellite into Iran, using Iranian subtitles to cross the language barrier. Now, he believes that the Iranian church is now the fastest growing in the world. He's in Australia, just arrived in Brisbane today from Perth uh, on his way to Sydney next week. And then there's some conferences I'll tell you about where you'll be able to see this man speak. You'll be able to glean some great wisdom. There's also a Facebook question on our Facebook page asking this question, has the Christian church, let's say the Christian church in Australia, got what it takes to complete the Great Commission? There's a poll there. You can respond yes or no. You might be divided on that. Have we got what it takes? Let's have an honest uh, appraisal of where we might be at. And then we can even hear some thoughts about why you might say, yes, we've got what it takes, or no, we don't have what it takes. But let's welcome our special guest, Rob Carmen. Special welcome along to 2020. Hey, Neil. Fantastic to be here, be on your show, and and just to hear your enthusiasm and excitement for God and what's going on. I love the question. It's a loaded question, so I'm interested to see what type of response we'll get on that. Uh, we'll check on those results through the hour and how listeners are thinking about whether we've got the capacity to do that, because this is clearly one of the motivating factors for you. You're traveling the world. You're speaking to leaders, leaders' conferences. You've clearly got a capacity to grow a large church. You've also got this capacity to reach into nations around the world. And you've got a big-picture idea of using the media to be able to get into nations like Iran. So these sorts of things. Give us a little hint and uh, some insight into what drives you then, Rob, because uh, I want to glean a little bit of this wisdom today. Well, Neil, what was always driven us years ago, we were, we were exposed to, I, I would say, what's, what's beyond the Western world. And it was our first trip in 1988 to the nation of Nigeria. Uh, the former T.L. Osborne, as you might remember, Brother Osborne had a huge influence upon our life. We became very close to him, conducted one crusade with him in the nation of Nigeria. But I can remember when we, when we got there, um, just to see the masses of humanity, the hunger for God. I remember staying in a little a little uh, apartment from the uh, – it was owned by Bensonita Hosa, the man that really broke that nation open, an understudy of T.L. Osborne. Six o'clock in the morning, two pastors were 
at our front door. And uh, I opened the door and I said, what, what, what are you here for? Oh, we're waiting for you to wake up. I said, what for? To preach to us. I thought this has never happened to me in America. And so just the idea of that type of hunger, it did something on the inside. And until those in any capacity of Christian work get outside of the context of Western culture where everything is packaged nice and easy and they see what's out there, it never really explodes on the inside. You know, we got 7.5 billion people on the earth. Half of them have never heard the name of Jesus. And uh, our concentration is so much on, on just the Western world when there's a world beyond it. You look at Istanbul as 14 million people with 800 Christians. And so there's this massive harvest field that we're almost ignoring that we need to put our effort, our time, our money, and our resources in. Rob, let's talk about having a hunger for those things. You say you had a hunger, and sometimes we might think, where does that hunger come from? Is that just because I'm spending time in the Bible, or I spend time in prayer, or I've got a good relationship with my local church? The way I hear you talk about that hunger is some of those things are going to be important, but it's who you are rubbing shoulders with that enables you to see what's possible. And uh, when you say names like Benson Idahosa or uh, T.L. Osborne, uh, people that you have clearly been influenced by, rubbing shoulders with people who've got a big picture idea, is this part of where the hunger comes? Exactly. I know I was thinking Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer in the king's court, and he heard about the destruction of Jerusalem. And hearing about it uh, prompted him, but he had to go see it. And when he got on that donkey... And he walked around, he saw the broken down walls and the burnt gates, and he spent three days just viewing it. It's something happens when we actually tangibly see what's out there. You cannot see that and remain the same. Okay, go there is what I'm hearing you say, because in this day and age, it's easier to go to all of these far-flung places on the face of the earth than it's ever been. Jump on a plane, you can be almost anywhere within that 24-hour period. That's correct. And what you're saying is it will turn your ideas upside down if you go and see what it's like in a nation like Bulgaria or if you go to African nations like Nigeria or if you go to, and I'm not sure you can go to Iran, but uh, to some of these places, uh, if you go there, something will happen. Yeah, it's exposure. And, and God's always used sight to change people. And all, you know, all through the, the Old and the New Testament, you know, you look at, at, um, at Abraham, see the stars, see the sands of the sea. That, that's what your descendants will be like. Paul talked about opening up the eyes of your understanding. In the book of Revelation, anoint my eyes with eye salve that I might see. So sight influences it. A Affects people's lives in a very deep sense because it 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 seems the sight connects to the emotional part of an individual that opens up the heart and until my emotions are tapped my heart never seems to open up and then when I see it it lingers on the inside of me and I think to myself well now what am I going I have a responsibility what am I going to do about what I just saw 
Let's talk about Iran because we'll come back to some of these sorts of issues and what it is that motivates us to see a Great Commission fulfilled. Let's talk about Iran because you've had a television program broadcasting into Iran by satellite uh, over the past year and uh, and there's been some great results from that. Your impressions about the church in Iran as it is today. We keep hearing some reports about the significant rapid growth of the Christian church in that nation. Uh, give us your impressions about what's going on in Iran today. Yeah, I'll give you a, uh, kind of a nutshell where it's concerned. I had no, I, I, I knew nothing six years ago about the nation of Iran. The only thing I knew was the movie Argo. And some of the listeners might be familiar with that. That's it. Yep. So I was introduced to an individual by the name of um, Harmos Shariat. He's Iranian. He, uh, he left at the revolution in 1979. His brother was executed. He married an American. He ends up in Southern California. He is Shiite Muslim. He gets radically saved. Uh, his life turns around. And uh, now you fast forward, so he begins to, to sense something of God upon his life. He has a degree, he has a Ph.D. in artificial intelligence. Most Iranians are Persians, they're very intelligent people. And he begins to reach back through, via satellite in any means he could. And he ends up in Dallas. And I get introduced to him, I have breakfast with him. And fast forward, um, I end up not only on the board, but I am the chairman of the board of Iran Alive Ministries, which is the largest ministry of its kind, broadcasting 24-7 into the nation of Iran. So I started emerging myself, asking questions, finding out what's going on. Well, I did discover that the Almanac Operation World, which has been around forever, that is republished every year with all the Christian stats, according to Operation World, for the last 10 years, uh, the, um, uh, the nation of Iran as the highest conversion rate per capita to Christ than any nation on earth. And it's growing exponentially. See, it's doubling every four years. So at the revolution, they claimed about, there's 80 million people that live in, in, in the nation of Iran. At the revolution, 1979, there was about 500. Now, here's what's fascinating, Neil, is the uh, what he told me. Because he is, these are Persians, these are Iranians. And so his connection to the nation, he doesn't have a language barrier. He doesn't have a cultural barrier. I have both. And he has none of that. So my information comes directly from the people like like him. So he's involved in areas of high up government, of conversions that can't go public because of uh, it's a hotbed. But he said in, 19, in the 1980s, after the revolution, when the first Ayatollah, there's only been two Ayatollahs since then, the first one came to power. The Iranian people thought that the Islamic faith would conquer the world. The 80, the decade of the 80s went by. The 90s came. And they began to question, well, maybe it's not. It's, it's the way it's being administered. So they thought if, it, if that changes, it'll still conquer the world. Another 10 years went by. He said by the turn of the, of the, of, of the last millennial, 2000, he said as a whole, the Iranian people, you got to understand that the majority of them are young. There's a very young population have now given up on Islam. And they said, we're looking for a God of love, mercy, and forgiveness. We just want to know who he is. And that's, and this is, and they have a biblical heritage as Persian people. They're not Iraqis and they have rejected Islam. Now that's the people that you've got this, this horrible government 
ruled by an ayatollah. As most of our listeners know, it's a hotbed where the United States is concerned right now. But uh, my, the inside information that I get is that it will it will collapse. A new regime will be formed. Hopefully, there'll be a freedom, and there's going to be a massive conversion rate to Christianity, the likes of we haven't seen, which can change the balance of the Middle East because they're the number one enemy of Israel. And if that can shift, we can shift the balance. So our objective, and I've got a portion of that objective, not all of it, because I'm working with other people, is to create something. We call it the 412 Leadership School based on Ephesians 412, Equip the Saints, because what we don't want to do is make the mistake that we made in Japan after World War II when General MacArthur called for a 1,000 missionaries to take Japan for Christ, and we never got them. We don't want to make the same mistake that when the Soviet Union collapsed and we went in with crusades, but not with a discipleship leadership to steward their own harvest, and so it dissipates. So the same thing can happen in Iran. If all we have is just mass excitement and mass meetings, we're going to lose the harvest, and the cults get in there. All kinds of bad stuff gets in there. So we're trying to create a foundation where people can have enough in them to where they, the Iranian people, will have enough to begin to steward that harvest once this thing falls. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. Dr. Rob Carmen is our guest. We're talking about how we might approach the fulfillment of a great commission that Jesus gave us. As Christians, we have that as our responsibility. So we're hearing now from a teacher, someone who has trained as many as a 100,000 pastors and leaders around the world. Uh, we're talking about Iran too and the changes that are happening there. Uh, Dr. Rob Carmen is in Australia and he is going to be speaking. He's in southeast Queensland this weekend. Two meetings on Sunday, the C3 Church, 17 Mile Church in Brisbane. Pastor there is Andrew McLennan. Uh, there'll be two services on this coming Sunday, 8.30am, 10.30am. He's heading to Sydney next week. For those listening in Sydney or around Sydney, a leadership conference for Elevation Church that's happening next Tuesday on the 11th. And then in the C3 City Church in the heart of Sydney with Tim Lowe on Sunday the 16th of February. Uh, those uh, You can get those dates too on the website, robcarman.com. Rob, let me ask you, when you talk about the things that are happening in the nation of Iran, it, I can't help but hear when there is disillusionment that people have under the regime that they are under. We're talking globally here. We're talking world missions. We're talking about what we might do from our armchair here in Australia to try and make a difference. And you've already said, go to those places and find out what's going on. But when there is disillusionment, that creates opportunity for the gospel. Give us some insights here into how you might look at disillusionment that might be happening in some nations around the world right now. Yeah, I think, uh, Neil, you know, if, if you look at the nation of Iran, the disillusionment that took place is they found out all all that they've been told isn't working. And so Islam promised this because they're, they're Shiite out there. So it promised this, it promised this. And you've got this young generation, which it usually happens to the next generation. We've often said that if, if change doesn't happen by revelation from the top down, it'll happen by revolution from the bottom up. 
and you see that happening, they're thinking, well, what's different? We have more oppression today than we've ever had. We have less rights today than we've ever had. We have less freedom today than we've ever had. And so it creates an uprising within the culture, and they recognize that everything we've been told, the propaganda about what Islam is, what Islam can do, the Muslim faith, is it's it's what what benefit? It's not doing anything. So they're thinking there's gotta be something else. One thing that's interesting too is they love Westerners. So um they want what our culture has as long as we can recognize that at the bottom of our culture, our foundation is Christianity, which is the most powerful element that built Western culture and Western civilization. Uh, but their hearts are open to it. And you can see that, whether it's that nation. Look at look at what happened. Um, well, I got friends in Bulgaria. We'll be there in May. And we've gone there numerous times. In the first 20 years of their life, they lived under communism and the oppression of communism and what communism was like. And after 20 years of growing up that way, two colors, uh, uh, black and gray, uh, everything is 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 owned by the state, and whatever the state allocates to you is what you get. So it institutionalizes the brain, and from a generation up, uh, they kind of put up with it because at least they know they're going to get a meal, they're going to have a job, they're going to have some little flat to live in. The generation down, which historically, you look at the nation of Israel, that when they went into Egypt, I mean, from Egypt to the promise, via the promised land into the wilderness, because of their unbelief, that whole generation had to die because they just can't make the change. But the next generation takes them in. And that's what you always seem to see historically. You see it repeated in the Old Testament and you see it again in culture. It's that next generation of, of an age under that says, we're not going to put up with this any longer. This doesn't work. And it, it's that disillusionment that God uses to push them to where God wants them to be. Interesting, when you reflect on the way that people in these nations who are under quite oppressive regimes, they look at the West and they see something Christian in the West. Uh, let me just throw a little spanner in the works here because uh, in the West we know that we live in Western nations and not everybody thinks that the church in the West is all that wonderful. In fact, uh, in the United States you've got a bit of a resurgence of evangelicalism uh, which is pretty amazing and that should be a real uh, primary way of uh, of moving mission forward as well there too. In Australia, sometimes people talk about their being disillusioned with the church. I wonder whether that's some sort of deception because with these other regimes, other ideologies that bring real disillusionment, that creates opportunity for the gospel, maybe we're looking at the wrong way that, uh, that we're thinking about we're being a little bit disillusioned with our faith when in actual fact the disillusionment that's happening under communism or under Islam uh, is just huge and people are ready to make a dynamic change in their life. It is. And what, what always, uh, um, in one sense, can create an aggravation uh, uh, within me where I look at Australia or I look at New Zealand or I look at Western Europe or I look at the United States is all these uh, young people that, that assume that it's the church and Christianity that's their problem, when in reality, it's what built the nation. It's what laid the foundation of the greatness that now we're enjoying still, even though even if we say we don't practice it, we are still enjoying the fruit of the freedom 
and the laws that came from Christianity that govern us, the judicial system that came from Christianity that governs us. I mean, we don't get our hand cut off because somebody steals. We are innocent until proven guilty by by a jury of our peers. And other cultures under Islamic faith, they don't have that opportunity at all. They are guilty until proven innocent. And um, it's the opposite. And so we might complain about the church this, the church that, but it's because of the church that we have the freedoms that we have. It's because of the of the stance of Christianity and what it's brought to our nations over and over. That's why we are enjoying the fruit. My um, uh, hesitancy or or is could be that if we if we dissipate that, if we start to go back, we're going to get into something someday that we wish we never had. Okay, what you're saying is as true in the United States as it is here in Australia. Yes, sometimes hard to see the forest for the trees because we're enjoying the freedoms that Christianity has brought us in the foundations of our culture. And as you're saying, those who are in other nations that are under oppression, whether it's communism or whether it's Islam or any other ideology, they're looking at us saying, that's what Christianity brings, and they want mm-hmm. the message of the gospel. So disillusionment creates opportunity. Tonight you're going to be talking about leadership and an interesting topic when we get on to leadership. But for that person who's listening to our conversation today, thinking, I can really, you know, something is striking a chord with me the way that Rob's talking about these things. I know I've got a purpose, and I know I've got a and, and even an opportunity somewhere in my local church to step up or into a parachurch organization to step up and do some things that might be impacting internationally. What's the sort of thing that you need to work with right now uh, to prepare yourself to be effective in the kingdom? What What are your thoughts? Well, Neil, first of all, anybody listening to us right now, regardless of who they are, is a leader. Jesus ca- called us to be salt and light which are elements of influence. So you can't lead. Any leader uh, creates influence. And to be a, and so everybody in their own right is a leader because they need to be able to bring in their arena a positive influence. Now, in order to do that, you come to the core of, of every individual. So regardless of our words and what we say and what we uh, think we believe and we try to tell people, People really don't care about that. What they care about is how we live and what's coming out from the core of an individual. Just like the core of the human body has to be strengthened for the body to be strong. Well, the core of the individual is that core of character, of integrity. And when that becomes like if you can compare it to a muscle, it needs to be strengthened all the time. And when I say integrity, that can mean has a big word. That can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I've tried to break it down in a very simplistic format. And I usually will ask people, what's the difference between honesty and integrity? Because a person will say, well, they're an honest person. I said, you can be an honest thief. You can go down and rob a bank. And I can ask you, did you rob the bank? You say, yes, you're honest, but you're no good. So, Integrity is the very core of that individual. And in the core to strengthen integrity, you have to be a person that 
whatever you say you will do, you will do. That's integrity. Honesty is conforming my words to reality. Integrity is conforming reality to my words. I swear to my own heart, my, my own heart, my yeas are yeas, my nays are nays, as the Bible said. The Bible said that a man's word is greater than silver or gold. And when I keep my word, you, uh, it builds an inner strength, whether I'm keeping my word to myself because I've made a, a personal promise, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to love my family. Whatever that personal word is, once that word is declared, I am bound at that moment to my personal word to myself and to other people. That strengthens my core. And when my core, and that's why the Bible says that God magnified his word above his name. It does not say that God magnified his name above his word because it's God's word that gave his name power. And it's a man's or woman's word that gives their name power. And I always use it, Neil, in in the relationship of a marriage. So when two people get married, this the wife assumes the husband's surname. But if he's not a man of his word, then she carries a name that she's never proud of because the man she's married to has no personal integrity. And when the children come, they are given the husband's name. That's the surname. If that man's a good man and a man of his word, that name has influence, and the children are proud to carry the family name. You and I both know, historically, there was a time where if you insulted the family name, somebody can die because you you crossed a line of integrity that could only be answered by a duel of some type. We have so dumbed down our culture now uh, that a person could say whatever they want, never intending to do anything that they just said. But in all leadership, the first thing that comes to mind is to be an individual of my word. My word is what creates my name, and my name needs to have influence when it's spoken. And if my word's no good, my name's no good. And if my name's no good, I have no influence. People hear my name, and they say, yeah, but he said a lot of things. She says a lot of things, but they never do it. But if the person's word is good, when their name is mentioned, that name will always carry influence. I'm reminded, just a quick story. When the earthquake happened and the fire in San Francisco in 1906, that, you know, it wasn't the earthquake that burnt San Francisco. It was the fire that resulted from the earthquake. My great-grandfather lived there and slept, actually slept through the earthquake until a piece of plaster hit him on the head. That's what I was told all my life. But anyhow, <laughs> my family's from California. And um, there was a man by the name of Giannini. Giannini was Italian, an Italian immigrant that had the Bank of Italy. He started the Bank of Italy. So he walked through the Italian district after the devastation of the earthquake and the fire. And he shook a man. He would shake man's hands. And if the hand was calloused, he knew he was a hard worker and he knew he was a man of his word. And he would loan him whatever money he needed to rebuild based on the integrity inside of that man. And that Bank of Italy, my great uncle, became a teller in worked for Giannini in San Francisco. Now, if you study the timeline, you'll find out that Giannini, that Bank of Italy, became the Bank of America, the biggest bank in the world, because it was based on the integrity 
of the individual? Well, there may be some ways that we can assess where our own integrity is at and assessing how we might be able to help encourage the integrity in those around us, perhaps in our local church, because we want to see the Great Commission fulfilled. There is a Facebook question that says, has the Christian church, and we're saying in Australia, got what it takes to complete the Great Commission? Let me tell you, the responses so far give us 70% saying yes, 30% saying no. Now, let's have a little look at those numbers for a moment. And uh, a lot of those uh, votes on that particular poll will have come in before hearing what you just said about this core of character, this integrity. And I wonder whether some might start to say, well, hmm, maybe I'm having second thoughts about the way that I voted there. But there's a little bit of optimism in our listening audience today to say, yes, we've got what it takes. What would your thoughts be to those who are saying yes or no to our poll today? Well, I think, first of all, I think it's an extremely loaded question. It is. Uh, and when you think of, does Australia have what it takes to fulfill the Great Commission? Well, I think of that, I think of the um, half the world's population that have never heard the name of Jesus. Are we mobilizing people? Are we actually sending people? Uh, Jesus sent, you know, the first word he spoke was come and see. The last words he spoke were go and tell. And to put this thing in a, in a very simplistic nutshell. And so we, they came, they saw, and then at the end, you go and you tell. Are we moving, are we mobilizing people? Are we getting them outside of their little world, their paradigm, and if we are, then what are we doing after we get there? Are we partnering with people in those nations that are doing something? Are we finding them, locating them? It's a giant question. And, and it's a, you know, it's like, uh, like I was told years ago by, um, um, the late T.L. Osborne, if you see 10 men carrying a log and nine men are carrying the light side and one man's carrying the heavy side, who would you help? Well, that's obvious. I would help the guy, the one guy carrying the heavy side. He says it's a picture of the world. He said we've concentrated almost all of our churches in a Western culture, and we've given the rest of the world almost nothing. So when you ask that question to me, uh, I would say no, because it's such a massive responsibility. And are we as local Christians, are we, are we moving our, our, our money uh, into world missions? Is there any evidence? You know, the FBI in the United States discovered years ago that they could look at a person's, how they spend their money. That's back when we had checkbooks. We don't have them anymore. I know you guys don't. But back then when we would, and they could profile a person based on how they spent their money. So they could look, uh, you know, uh, $50 for a haircut, $5 for world missions. Where your money is, your heart is. So are we actually spending money? Are we, are we as individual Christians finding out the organizations in different countries that are actually making a difference and supporting them and putting our resources behind them? If we're not doing that, then we're fooling ourselves. Well, you're touching on something so, so important here because you can make an assessment of yourself or of your local church, or of those who might be involved in that mission activity. And uh, you can actually be quite deluded, because what you're saying is, what's the evidence for whether you are, in fact, 
the person who has the character and the person who has the will and uh, responding to the purposes of God to be able to fulfill what's coming. Because unless there's some evidence there, then likelihood is you don't actually have the character in the first place. So comes back to this initial thing you were talking about, getting that core right so that the character is right, so that whatever is growing out of that when it comes to the response to the Great Commission is going to come from that character that's formed by God within Mm-hmm. For instance, we just built a church in northern Mozambique. Northern Mozambique is 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 a Muslim head is is the headquarters for the Muslim Church. So we we've worked for years with a ministry out there that's run by the fourth generation white Zimbabweans that left Zimbabwe after the uh, the war. Well, they they came into Mozambique at, during the revolution of Mo- when communism overtook it. Stayed through that course. Their son was killed as a result of it. And they went up to northern, to uh, central Mozambique in, in Aminga, start, started a, a Bible college and then branched up north. So I got a hold of them and I said, I said, I want to finance a church in the heart of the Muslim territory. So they took Bible school students and they began to send them in there with um, doing outdoor crusades just to kind of break that stronghold. And they did. Then they purchased property. Just give you an idea what this day. We purchased property. Then they then once that was done legally, because you want it done legally, we came in there financially, and we built the church. Now, that church cost eleven thousand five hundred U.S. dollars. It's it's concrete floor. It's got an inside bathroom. It's solid block walls. It's it's got an iron roof. And we built that whole, and to build it, they had to bring all their equipment on site and stay there and live there for week after week, because otherwise somebody'd steal it week after week. It's not easy. It's not like this. It's not, you can't think. But my point is, Neil, 11500 U.S. dollars can build a church that will stay there and preach the gospel. There's no greater form of evangelism in the world than planting and building a local church church. It'll have a pastor regardless whether one comes or one leaves or another one comes. It'll, it will speak volumes to the community. We saw this in Papua New Guinea in the 1990s. We built 60 churches in Papua New Guinea. We financed them. I sent teams and we physically built them. And I always remember what one individual, in fact, he was an Australian, told me this one time and the thought stayed with me. He said, let me tell you something, how important that building is, that structure is. Because up until this time, they've had a grass church that anybody can burn down. It doesn't say anything to the community. But the moment you built a solid structure, that building told the entire community the gospel is here to stay. So if you want to see something work overseas, you start building churches. Sometimes we think that the church is only the people. And technically, if we're talking about that, the church is the people. But what you're saying is when you've got bricks and mortar, you've got a stake in the ground. There's a permanence about that. It means that the gospel isn't fly by night, here today, gone tomorrow. And there's someone who's going to be there preaching the gospel way after your years because that structure is likely to continue to stand. Let's come back to a step beyond the idea of looking at the integrity of the heart of the leader 
or that person who is thinking I ought to be doing something, what am I going to do? I'm working on my integrity now. What's the next step? How do you mobilize when you are working on those things, preparing your own heart before God, knowing that he's got a great purpose for you? A lot of people will say, I know God is ready to use me. I'm getting ready now, but I just haven't had that flash of inspiration yet and that word from him as to how I'm going to move. So what about this mobilizing of the individual? And we're not talking about people here who've gone through and earned degrees in theology and things like that, and they they may be part of it. But the ordinary person who's sitting in church thinking, I do want to do something great for God, but I'm not sure how that's going to happen. How do I get mobilized? Well, I would say just begin to serve because all leadership's based on serving. The Bible said concerning Jesus that he didn't come to to be served, but he came to serve. So all leadership, no matter what it is, is based on serving. And the reason why it's based on serving, see, you're only qualified to lead to the degree you're willing to serve, which bears repetition. You're only qualified. You're only qualified. I don't care who you are, whether it's your home, your family, your work, your church, you're only qualified to lead to the degree you're willing to serve. And the reason why that's so essential is because it's the person that serves that always, now not being subservient. I want to make a distinction. You don't serve subservient. Jesus saw himself equal with the Father, but he came to serve. So it's not a subservient attitude. It's an equality, but it's an equality that serves because it's the person that serves that always has influence. And it's true in every dynamics of life. Facebook comment from Craig, who was responding to our poll, has the Christian church got what it takes to complete the Great Commission? Craig says, uh, read the poll question. The Bible says it will be completed. So I guess I have to tick yes. Ticking yes, we've got the... Uh, the ability, the capacity, the heart to actually do our role in the Great Commission. Uh, is it enough to know that that's because what the Bible says that I should tick yes? Or is there an issue here of connection to uh, what the Bible says and how I actually get on the track to make that happen? Well, yeah, yeah. And it says, you know, as soon as this gospel of the kingdom is preached to all nations, all people groups, the end will come. So inevitably, we can answer in the affirmative, it will. But then we got to take the, the that approach and ask ourselves the personal question. Do we, uh, I think it's the responsibility of every generation to fulfill the Great Commission. I think that was from the onset after the, um, the resurrection and the ascension. And you look at the Great Commission repeated, you know, four times. If you include the Book of Acts, it's repeated five times. Um, it's not God, you know, it's God's final thought. And uh, so it's always been there. It's always been our responsibility. But as far as acting out and living out that responsibility, I think the church seems to fall short of it. And what I've seen now, yeah, I, yeah I, we're all we're all limited to our own surroundings and lifestyle. But one of the questions I get asked repeatedly is: Is the Western Church more involved in in missions today than it was? 30 years ago, and I would say 30 years ago, the Western church was much more involved in missions. We've shifted our, 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 our emphasis to our community. Now, I'm not negating our personal community, but I watch churches, whether it be America, 
New Zealand, Australia, Western Europe, which is probably the context of the Western world. And our emphasis now has been our own community. We're reaching our community. We're doing things for our community. Wonderful. But I always remember some of the old missionary statements. Uh, the light that shines the furthest will shine the brightest at home. And the emphasis years ago was always regions beyond. Because the Apostle Paul said, I must go to regions beyond. Now, I believe you have to touch your community. You have to do both. Touch your community. But when all of my church money and income is spent for overhead, salaries, and just my community, and I'm giving almost nothing outside of that to touch a world, uh, that's where my value is. What we're hearing is there needs to be a reassessing of some priorities here, and that applies to every single one of us, to come back to reassess priorities, to come back to this idea of there is a core character that is developing within us. How do we actually nurture that integrity? How do we take those things a step further by finding a place, perhaps according to our own gift, where we can serve, and when you're serving, you're saying, Rob, that servant heart is going to determine your capacity to lead. A powerful insight today from Rob Carmen, who has trained as many as 100,000 pastors and leaders around the world, and he's in Australia, and you may have the opportunity to be able to connect with Rob Carmen at some of the meetings that he's going to be addressing. He's in Australia, he's in Brisbane, sitting in the studio here with me today, and he's in Brisbane for this weekend. Tonight there is a leadership presentation, 7 o'clock tonight at C3 Church, 17 Mile Church in Brisbane, uh, you'll be able to look at the website to get the details and the address and all of those things. Uh, you'll also be able to see him speak two services on Sunday morning, 8.30 and 10.30. He's headed to Sydney on Tuesday next week for a leadership conference for Elevation Church in Sydney. And then at C3 City Church in the heart of Sydney with Tim Lowe on Sunday the 16th of February. Now, to get some details and uh, addresses and venues, robcarmen.com is the website, robcarmen.com. Rob, it's just been a great opportunity to be able to glean these insights from you today. I want to just uh, honour you and appreciate you for sharing these thoughts with listeners uh, all over Australia. Uh, really appreciate you taking that time and all the best for the meetings as they come on the weekend and uh, you're in Sydney next week. Thanks for being with us on 2020 today. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.